0: Doing
1: ten seconds of silence for yeah. our. Sound program is really
0: difficult. Way hard. It feels like a thousand minutes.
1: Our producer Caitlin uh, cracks the whip on us. So, yeah. welcome to the It's a Brain Thing podcast. Here Hi. in the Organ Behavior Consultation Studio.
0: Yes.
1: Um, we are going to be talking today. Oh, I'm Nate, and I'm with my <laughs> co-host Jill. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about friendships and loneliness. Ugh, and
0: this. How- I just need this. This. I'm super stoked to talk about it. Okay. Okay. Cool. I'm so- yeah, I'm using paper and a pencil as we talk. Yeah, That's how excited I am. I think that
1: one reason why we decided to talk about this is because it's really relevant for most developmental disabilities. And we see yeah. it in FASD a lot. And I describe people with FASD as frequently having the desire to be social but they sometimes lack the skills to be social and everybody with FASD is different we actually tend to consider people with FASDs to have pretty good skills in this area they're very personable they like to talk they want to engage with people but as we're talking about kids and teenagers um, and even you know young adults there is a learning curve to learning the nuances of social interaction and I like social interaction and friendships on that brain level because that's how I think about most things (laughs) and just how we are constantly reading each other. But there are some people who on a neurological level cannot read the same cues that we read. And it's not an issue of cluelessness. It's Mm -hmm. an issue of their brain does not process it. Um, And there's a lot of interesting research around that. So does the the conversation of friendships and loneliness come up in your household, Jill?
0: I think it is ninety percent of our oldest struggles. Even with her anxiety levels, with her anger, with the mm-hmm. rages we talked about in the last episode, I, it, it, mo- majority of it, it stems from loneliness with her, right. um, and it uh, it's probably the most heartbreaking part as a parent or a caregiver. Yeah, from my perspective, a parent. Um, Watches their child um, waddle through those waters. Right, horrifically hard to watch yeah. that.
1: And the the thing about connecting with other people, mm-hmm. when we're talking about neurotypical people, yeah, we there are so many nonverbal things happening. There are these cues that we send. There are these signals that are already complicated enough for everybody. Yeah, especially if you're a teenager, you know, kind of learning these these things or a kid, and. There there are so many ways to mess up. And I, what I often say, because people, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, people with developmental disabilities from the late 1700s until like the 1980s, 1990s, they were separated from society. Right. And a lot of people don't know this, but that's how it was. You you institutionalized your kid right. with a few exceptions. It was, what,
0: until 1976 here in Oregon that it was still... No,
1: it was, it was until, we didn't shut down our institution in Oregon yeah. until the like 1989 through the 90s. Jesus, isn't that crazy? Yeah it's it's it is obscene yeah. like the fact that you would send somebody away for literally no reason other than having a disability. Yeah, it's and that disconnect in society was not fixed just because we shut down the, right. the the institutions. Like it's still there. A lot of people don't know how to respond mm-hmm. and they treat our, you know, people with FASDs or other developmental disabilities differently. So relationships is a constant issue. This is mm-hmm. a big conversation we have here in Oregon at least as far as a lot of behaviors that we see might be due to loneliness and we want to address loneliness and not forget that that is a huge factor. And and so what I say is there's no way you're going to teach, let's say a teenager with FASD, you're not going to teach them all of the social skills to prevent themselves from screwing up. Part of learning social skills and relationships is actually making mistakes. You might screw up some relationships, some friendships, and that is how we learn how to adjust ourselves in a lot of these ways. I love that you just said that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: To be okay with making mistakes. So
1: then if, if, if mistakes have to be made, but we as the caregivers are too scared to provide opportunity because we don't want to, you know, sign them up for this class because they might embarrass themselves. Well, then we we have an issue because we have to provide the opportunities, but also provide the work and the skills.
0: Right. Yeah, totally. And I think I, I used to try to social engineer her world when she was really little, starting in like, three-year-old preschool when I started to see her um, being ostracized from her peers and being really confused and overwhelmed and coming home from preschool and chucking her shoes at me, um, I because she was so overwhelmed and yeah. anxious and and um, it was so much, I would limit and I would try to talk to other parents and I would really try to filter what other kids, how they would act with her. And it was like if you, as the years went by, I was realizing that I'm not giving her any opportunities to learn. Yeah. So then I kind of a, took on her side and was engineering her side where I would go into her playgrounds and teach her wall ball or teach her these other games. And while I think that that can be really helpful to kind of help them learn the tools and and learning going to play therapy like she went to and, and mm-hmm. going to her autism specialist that through these visualizations taught her about sharing and flexible brain. And I think that's incredibly important to to teach them these social skills. But then what happened when she turned eight and I didn't become... She was no longer comfortable with me following her around Mm -hmm. everywhere and and helping her interact with her peers. She um, started to get really angry when I would try to interject or try to do what I had been doing and just um, helping her along the way. And I didn't know what to do. I was really scared um, because all of a sudden I had to kind of let her do her own thing. And the the more I was allowing her to go off on her own and to make these mistakes, the more she was coming home super angry, more and more anxious, more Mm -hmm. and more down on herself. The really scary talks. Um, mm-hmm.
1: It can and, really... I mean, loneliness or just being unsuccessful in and yeah. interacting and yeah. feeling judged all the time, it's going to lead to a bunch of behaviors and it negative is. things that have nothing to do with those issues from, the, you know, on right. the face of it, but right. it leaks into many areas of life. Right. Health. I mean, yeah. like a lot of things.
0: Yeah. And what I learned, this is really something powerful. And I think this is what my whole takeaway from this entire podcast is this, is that these kids will always have more negative interactions with um, their peers. And they were always going to struggle with social emotional connections with people. We as their parents and caregivers, what we can do to help them find comfort when they're in trauma brain or when their anxiety brain is to be their comfort when they come to us and to give them a platform where they can feel those big, hard, scary mm-hmm. feelings. We validate them. Right. We listen to them. We don't we don't try to fix them. We just are there to absorb yeah. it for them. Because if we are that comfort for them, if we don't shut them down because we're afraid of how scared we are of them feeling those feelings, yeah. they're not going to come to us anymore. And they're going to go seek other ways to comfort. That's where a lot of these the drug and alcohol comes in, the over-sexualized behaviors when they're trying to connect with their with through sex with people. If we don't give them the comfort, um, they will start to go down these other paths. And so yeah. just really be find a way through my daughter nights, through journaling back and forth with each other, however it works with your kids, find a way to connect and to listen to those big feelings and don't yeah. um be afraid of them,
1: yeah. And you know I, I I would say that a big part of this whole conversation does have to be everybody shifting their paradigm, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. how we address people with challenging behaviors. Yeah. You know, I'm sure many people listening to this podcast can relate. If you are like in a grocery store and you hear a kid have a meltdown, Mm -hmm. you know, before you're introduced to all of this stuff, that's a little brat. Right. But then once you've kind of been there, you realize that's a kid who has probably had a really rough day right you know we're at the grocery store at 6 p.m there's a lot of people around yeah. they can't get anything they want because they're there because their mom has to do grocery shopping or whoever right, right. and so it, things make a lot more sense so how do we translate that understanding to the general population at large as well as to young kids how can we how can we teach that forgiveness and that understanding of yeah just because somebody you know, has a challenging behavior in front of you, that doesn't mean that they're being bad.
0: Right.
1: Those are the traditional ways of viewing it behavior. Right. And so I think if, that is an angle that we should be considering. And when it comes to educating the peers that are the, yes. are the friends of our kids, yes. Um. And, and the people that work with them, their teachers, all those people need to understand that what's happening, you know, could ultimately be the result of loneliness yeah. and much less it's not intentional misbehavior.
0: Absolutely. So, and talking because the more we – teach the younger generations about brain differences, then it becomes the norm. Then it becomes, they start doing the checklist in their head. Oh, I see someone not being nice to me. Oh, does this mean they're a bully? No. It means they're hurting. They're sad. How can I go and affect that person's life and make change in that person's life instead of just combating them more? It's incredibly powerful to teach kids about brain differences.
1: So other ways that, you know, we want to address loneliness is by being proactive, by teaching social skills. We always talk about the importance of practicing and role playing. So we want to avoid saying things like, don't be mean to your friends or don't do something just because a friend of yours asks you to. We have to give our kids or teenagers this exact thing to do or to say. Here's exactly what you say when somebody wants to skip school with you and, you know, go eat somewhere or whatever and practice that if they're willing because that will help the processing in the moment because a big part of what we're talking about is lack of processing if they're in a situation where everything is moving too quickly with their peers then they might be more likely to be impulsive they might be more likely to shut down in certain ways or to you know you know some people are too much when you're in a social Mm -hmm. situation you have you might have that one person who's a little bit too much for everybody they're not reading the cues of everybody (laughs) else so how do we help the person that we're looking at know exactly what to look at. Don't assume that they see the social cues that everybody's giving them and are ignoring them. They are probably literally not processing them for a lot of different reasons. They want to impress people. Mm -hmm. They may not realize it. they might think that things are going well. So we want to be proactive and teach that to to start to build those skills a little bit if possible.
0: Absolutely. Like role play. At our house, we always get uh, our oldest our but all of all three of our kids involved and they all just adore it they all mm-hmm. take turns being like the situation person they all take turns being our oldest and they all just giggle and laugh but it's really cute because the next day our oldest will come home and she'll say i did it i w- i said x y and z and it's everything we had practiced and it had worked in a social situation and the more um, times we do that mm-hmm. um, she just buys into it more and more and she's mm-hmm. like this really works you know so and it honest to god does and it's also really fun to bring in the siblings into it because they are part of they're part of the solution and they're they're supporting their sibling it's wonderful yeah because a lot of not just the parent i i I speak on behalf of my younger two who have both expressed this to me my five-year-old my seven-year-old it's heartbreaking for them too last year on the playground Mm. our middle daughter saw two girls excluding our older daughter yeah and talking uh Obviously to everybody else, not very nice to our oldest, but our oldest had no clue what they were doing. Our middle daughter ran off the playground crying. I got a call from Mm. the principal um, saying that she's just hysterical and she doesn't really know why I went to the school. And it's because she was literally shattered, emotionally shattered from watching her sister be in the social situation and her sister not having any clue. At the time she was six. Um, And so that's when I really realized what an impact that's, that's not true. That's when I realized in my own family, my own sister who has feta alcohol um, my entire life, watching her yeah. go through those challenges um, broke my heart. And to this day, I want to punch people in the face when they um, aren't kind to her. I never have been violent. I don't condone violent, but that is because I have impulse control. But <laughs> that's what I, I want to defend her. And I want to stand yeah. up for her because um, my heart aches when she is alienated and, and um, brushed aside. And and my my... Two youngers feel that same way. So getting them involved in the role play gives them a little bit of power back into that they're not helpless against this um, situation. They can help her.
1: Yeah, And, and, and maybe also taking this neurodiversity look at loneliness as well. We want to avoid not allowing somebody to engage in what their interests are. Um, we see this a lot in autism so that, you know, they might have a really intense interest and for some reason the adults in their life think, well, they need more interest or they shouldn't be so fixated on that. But really that is an indication of what their strengths are. Yes. So can we find people who are also interested? So what people, one resource is Mm -hmm. meetup.com meetup.com. And it's more helpful if you're in kind of a bigger city, but you can find a lot of different groups. So if you have somebody who's interested in Pokemon cards, Mm -hmm. there are probably people who play it. And that could be one way to get them out of their immediate environment and the people that they already know and actually establishing those community relationships where they can just play Pokemon or they can, you know, go hiking or whatever it is they like to do. So
0: Ah, definitely check
1: out meetup.com. Um,
0: I think what you touched on is that their things don't change their things. I love that. Yeah. When I was working for my nonprofit before, my number one goal was to find a person's purpose in their community, which went along with who they were and what interests them and finding friends that um, associated with, because once they had a purpose, um, all sorts of people came a run
1: Yeah. And, and the other thing I want to mention too, is this idea of dismaturity in people mm. with FASD. Yeah. So my idea is that if there are no issues safety issues with an older person hanging out with younger people because Mm -hmm. those younger people share their interests, Mm -hmm. I say, go for it. If the alternative is, well, they can't hang out with anybody because everybody's weirded out that they want to hang out with younger kids, but we also, they don't, none of their same age peers want to hang out with them because they don't share the same interests. That's a recipe for loneliness. So even if they are getting that interaction from younger kids, that's fine. And then at the same time, we can work to teach those skills for them to be more successful with their same age peers. Um, And and that's really important. So Mm -hmm. being proactive, honoring where their brain is at, where they're at, um, teaching the peers themselves in a lot of situations can be helpful. And all of this is to prevent loneliness, which is a huge factor with a lot of challenging behaviors, especially when you have a developmental disability.
0: This last weekend, um, like I've been talking about how it's been really rough at our house. This last weekend, our oldest, she and I were on a one-on-one date. And she just started crying and crying and crying in the car with me. And she was telling me how sad and lonely she is and how she doesn't mm. feel worthy of friends and how we have to move or we have to go to a different mm. school because there's no one there that gets her and understands her and wants to be her friend. Yeah. And um, I told her there was also some really big scary feelings mixed in there, which made sense based on how sad she was about not having friends. Mm. And – um. I told her that we don't give up, that we just do different, Mm -hmm. and that we were going to make a plan as soon as we went home to do different. And we did. We made some plans educational-wise what we were going to do different. We made some plans of different groups we're going to go out and try out that match with interests she's available to. Mm -hmm. And the other part that we're doing, we're doing this with her mindfulness therapist, is that she is taking the power back of feeling powerless, of not having any social interaction and not any friends, And she's creating these visual structures of friends in the Mm -hmm. middle. She's in the middle, and she has two of these people on each side, and she's tearing out – let me rewind just a second. She first did herself, and herself she tore out magazines and pictures off of Pinterest of who – who. she tore out pictures and images um, on Pinterest and magazines of – who she is who what characters does she bring to the table what what does she love to do what makes her her yeah. and then she created these images of friends and characteristics and images of what she wants in a friend hmm. which is in, when she talks about friends with me before this and then what she actually came up with on this visual board night and day her Mm -hmm. number one thing she would say to me verbally before is that she wanted blonde friends that knew (laughs) how to dress Uh on the board she talked about kindness she talked about being able to laugh and tell secrets with she talked about friends that could keep secrets like keep her secrets sacred like she had all of these incredibly powerful things and i was like what the heck kid like this whole time i'm like trying to talk you away from like liking these cool chicks to like something of substance but she had that all along she just wasn't verbalizing it so she's doing it visually now and she's gonna go find her friends that are worthy of her
1: once again you know talking about the power of not having a converse a verbal conversation yes yes. but putting in visuals slowing things down yeah and we can see that applies to so many different conversations social behavior awesome
0: so many and every time it happens it happens all the time with us i'm like what the hell was I thinking? We keep having this conversation, dead end, dead end. All of a sudden, yeah. I introduce a visual, and it's like, oh, hi, hi, real you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Cool. Well, we hope that was so helpful cool. as yes. far as giving you some ideas to start with. Again, if you have any questions, fill out the listener question form. Um, you'll find the link on the bottom of our show notes. Yes. Uh, I want to again thank our producer, Caitlin. And Caitlin. thanks for joining me today, Jill.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, Nate. Thanks for having me at your home. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a pleasure.
1: And I'm Nate. And we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks,
0: guys.